um, I'm so thankful that all of you are here, and I'm going to start off by just saying a few things before we dive into the message. First, I got to put a little bit of egg on my face because I told you guys I would not call a fast during Valentine's Day, but we could not find any other time to fast. And so during Valentine's Day, give yourself some grace, maybe do something during the day, but we are starting a 20-day fast, 20 and 20, starting February 1st. I get it. There's a Super Bowl. Go Chiefs. You can hate me later, um, but I am so excited about the Chiefs being in the Super Bowl, actually. And uh, so I would really just encourage you guys to begin to pray and ask the Lord what you're supposed to do during that 20-day fast. Let me just briefly say something about fasting. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that positions you for everything that the Lord has for you. We're not fasting necessarily to get something from God. We're fasting to become something more for him. Fasting is a tough discipline, I get it, but if you ask the Lord for grace, he'll give you the strength to do it. We only fast twice a year as a church corporately, so the nice thing is, is you're not going to go through it alone. We all do it together as a family. Now, there are a lot of different ways that you can fast, and there are a lot of reasons for fasting, but the reason why we fast is to become a new wineskin, so when God pours out his spirit into our life, we're sustainable, pliable, moldable, flexible, and can contain what God is doing. Fasting keeps you on your edge. Fasting denies your flesh. Fasting denies things in your life that have gotten in the way of having more time with him or hearing his voice. It's a natural tendency for our flesh to become complacent and the things of this world to get in the way. So God instituted this fasting discipline so that we would become new wineskins or become transformed to hear his voice and stay on our edge. If you've lost your fire and lost your edge and your flesh is getting in the way and addictions and, and entertainment and the stuff of this world, and you're just like, man, I need some fresh fire in my life, I would encourage you to fast. It's expected, Jesus expected that we would. And so I want to invite you into this corporate fast with us for 20 days and have grace on yourself. I know there's Valentine's Day. I know there's a Super Bowl. Do something in the morning. Deny yourself something. Quit caffeine for two weeks. You can do it for 20 days. Just anything that's getting in the way that you, your flesh is dependent on. Entertainment is a good example. Social media is a great example. And the time that we spend maybe watching YouTube videos at the end of the day or watching TV or being on our phones could be time spent more intimately with the Lord. What I'm asking you to do is to dial it down. Maybe not on February 2nd and February 14th, okay. But the rest of the time, I'm asking you to dial it down on your social life and to really be very intentional with the Lord. It's a sacred time for us as a church family. And the fast, I can't express to you how important of a time that we live in. We live in crazy times. Our nation is becoming more and more divided from everything happening in politics to wars to the economy to belief systems, the things that are happening at Rock City Church and in our own city, if we're believing that God is going to do something great in our city and in our lives and in our church and in our families, then it's important that you position yourself in advance. We don't live crisis Christianity. We're not reactive. We're proactive. You've got to learn to be proactive, not reactive. I know that it's insane what's happening around us, and I can tell you what's coming down the line is going to be even crazier. But I've never been as excited as I am right now 
to be alive and to be a Christian and to be in this great nation. I've never been as excited as I am right now. I love Flower Bluff. I love my city. This is my city. It's your city too, just like your H-E-B. <laughs> and so what I'm telling you is, is this, we live in times where we have to begin to get more aggressive and more militant about, about who God is and who we are and how we spread that love and that life and that power to everybody around us. It's not a time to be complacent and passive. It's a time to be disciplined. It's a time to be deeper into the word and to hear his voice like never before. You simply cannot afford to be passive and not hear his voice in these, day, in these days and times. And I'm here to challenge you and do it together with you. You're not alone. We're in it together. And that's the beauty of a family. That's the beauty of community is that you now have an army and a tribe that fights together and believes together and loves together and, and marches on through life together as one. And so this fast is very important. It's a solemn, it's a sacred, solemn assembly. And it's not downcast and depressed. And I'm going to tell you right now, you be spirit-led in it and do not be legalistic about it. Nobody's asking somebody else, you know, what are you fasting? And if you catch your really good friend at the coffee shop drinking a triple macchiato, you don't look down on them because, like, why are you drinking coffee in the fast? It doesn't work like that. I'll, I'll be there all the time, and it's not a matter of, legalism it's a matter of freedom so you find what god's called you to do and you do that and then you do you do it intimately and personally personally whether it's entertainment tv comforts of this world whatever it is if you have vices in your life that you know aren't healthy this is a great time to lay them down you can do it and if you get halfway through it or two days into it or one day into it and you down four diet dr peppers and you blew it or you went to Outback and had to have a steak. Who cares? Get back on it. God's not angry and mad. It's not a legalistic thing. It's an empowerment, grace, full of love and life thing. And if you ask God to give you the grace, he'll give you the strength to do it. And I'm going to pray for us that we would all have the grace and the strength to do it. And so for me, I'll probably start out on a Daniel fast doing fruits, grains, and vegetables. And I'll lay down coffee in my life because I really love it. And I thoroughly enjoy it. And I'll start easing my way off in this next week. And I'll start to eat healthy. Now, some of you already eat. And I don't eat bad, but some of you already eat healthy. And I get it. Some of you are vegans. You're like, well, I already live a Daniel fast. Okay, well, give up your Facebook and Instagram for a couple weeks. Or give up your TV shows or whatever. I'm not out to, there's not really anything wrong with those things unless they're consuming your life. The point I'm trying to get you to is that. A couple times a year, we as a family consecrate and dedicate ourselves for the more God has in store. And so I'll, I'll start out with a Daniel fast. I usually do a detox. It's a great time to get healthy, but for some of you, you're on medications, and you work jobs that require a lot of physical exertion and labor, and I get it. Just do something. Ask the Lord. Make a sacrifice, and don't be weird religious about it. We can do it. Amen? All right. There's a lot of things that are happening. You were given a flyer, the contact information of all of our leaders here at the church. I would like to start out first by saying thank you to Dawn Fick, who led our prayer partner training with over 60 people with her leaders last Sunday night. Let's give Dawn a hand clap. <laughs> Colton Bartell has taken the reins for our men's, of Valor men's ministry, and I would like to say Friday night he had his launch with over 35 men. Let's give Colton Bartell a hand clap. I'm excited for you. 
And I'm excited for the men of this church. And if you couldn't make the launch on Friday night, that's okay. Get with Colton. Find out the schedules. They'll start to get announced here. A lot of things are going to be happening with the men's ministry. Please do not isolate yourself and get into relationship with somebody else, especially the men. Men tend to really isolate themselves and carry the weight and the burdens and the struggles of their life, their work, their family, their finances. And we don't like to get into relationship with other men for various reasons, but we need each other. We need each other. And so please connect with Colton. He's a fantastic man of God, a fantastic father. He knows what it means to be a son, and he cares deeply about the men of this church. Tonight, as mentioned in the video announcement, there's an evangelism training. If you have a passion for outreach and evangelism, especially to do it spirit-led and to be prophetic, meaning that God uses you to be his mouthpiece and you would love to go out to the streets with a team, we get together um, once a month where we do these outreaches and treasure hunts and uh, we ask the Lord in advance, God, where do you want us to go and what are you saying and who do you want us to reach out? Because we believe the Lord can lead us and show us in advance who he wants to minister to. And so it's important that you go through the training tonight if you can make it. And then again, lots of other things that are happening inside the outreach flyer. And then we have every Wednesday our incense prayer morning, noon, and night that I would encourage you guys to come to. All right? Uh, <clears throat> do you ever meet people? It's kind of like social media where they always put their best face forward and tell you every good thing that ever happens. And it's like, how are you doing? And, they ne and it's like they never tell you about their struggles or their challenges or when they really, really bomb it. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you about a time that I really bombed it a couple days ago. It really has nothing to do with my message, but it's a funny story. I'm going to self-deprecate for a minute. Uh, most of you know that some time ago I really, asked, I really had a conversation with the Lord about being more intentional in sharing publicly what God's given to me. And, and I, I naturally do that because of who I am, right? But sometimes I'm not as intentional, and the Lord challenged me and some of you picked up the challenge and that was to witness to every single uber driver that i ride with and over the years i have told you guys lots of uber stories right i have lots of stories i've almost been crashed and killed i preach jesus to jews muslims pakistanis all kinds of people atheists it didn't matter once i made the commitment to the lord i was set now only one time did i not witness to an uber driver and that was on our way to israel we were in new jersey and i got food poisoning and i puked my guts out in the back seat and it just didn't work out uh and i was like there's no i couldn't even talk right i've had incredible encounters and i've had times where i've missed it i had one particular time where i've told you guys that um I got into the car, a little tiny smart gar car with a big giant African man, and um, the Lord's like, I want you to ask him about his daughter. And, it, and I found out after that his daughter was battling some sickness. And um, so I got in the car, and I was a little bit overwhelmed by the size of this guy in this little tiny car. And um, so he looked down at me, and I looked up at him, and I said, I said hey, do you have a daughter? And instantly I felt so convicted from the Lord because that's not what God told me to say. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I have a daughter. And then I was just like, I missed it, which is fine. But because I, I learn, I learn every time, even if I bomb it or fail or I really get it right. I've had many cases where people, Uber drivers have wept. We've prayed together. They've given their life to the Lord. I prayed for healing. The presence of God's come. They've almost drove off the road. I mean, I've had life-changing 
encounters with, and then I've had some that they didn't want to hear anything I had to say, and it was just like, basically they were just telling me to keep my mouth shut, don't talk, and I just blessed them and left, but I tried, and so I got into this car, or actually when I ordered the Uber, I said, okay, Lord, we're going to have some fun, I said, uh, show me what you want to show me about this Uber driver, and so I wasn't really hearing anything, so I just kind of went with my gut instinct, and it was, I was like, okay, it's going to be a woman. I just, I can feel it. It's going to be a woman that picks me up. And as soon as I sent in the Uber request, it was a man. I'm like, okay, I, I missed that one. So I get in the car, and he's another African guy from West Africa. And uh, he's really high energy, and he's talking with me a little bit. I said, hey, listen, I'm gonna, I want to give you a word. And I, and I said, uh, I feel like there's something you've really been believing for, uh, something that you're really passionate about that you haven't been able to do that God wants you to know he's about to do. Does, does that make sense? He goes, not at all. I'm doing everything I want to do. I'm like, well, okay. I said, well, you know, what about things that maybe the Lord has told you when you were younger um, and throughout your life that hasn't happened? He, he goes, I can't think of one thing. I said, okay. I said, well, what about your childhood? So I started to get a little bit more specific. I said, what about your childhood? You know, when you, when you went to church maybe with your family, he goes, I'm Muslim. And I'm like, okay, I'm really like striking out here. I'm totally bombing it, totally bombing it. And I'll tell you why I'm telling you this story. I'm totally bombing it. So then finally I'm like, okay, you got kids? He's like, yeah, I have three kids. Well, I'm going to tell you something really special about your son. He's got, he, goes, he goes, I only have girls. <laughs> and now this is the funny part of the story. I could feel the Lord sitting next to me going, smiling with a smirk on his face like, you think you got it all figured out, don't you? But always trust and look to me. But really what I felt like the Lord was saying or feeling was the joy of the moment of me bombing it. Like my best friend was there laughing at me at how silly I was, right? And so finally I just like gave up. When he got to the spot, I looked at him. I said, listen, Jesus wants to show himself to you. You better keep your eyes open because I was just another sign for that, and he loves you. And then I got out of the car as fast as I could, right? <laughs> Why do I tell you that story? Sometimes I even miss it. But it's okay to try, and it's okay to try and fail because more often than not, we are have fear or afraid, kind of like what Mark, Mark has taught on Wednesday night, which I heard he did a phenomenal job, is that... Yeah, let's give Mark Marquez a hand clap, really. And so, you know, I tell you that story because I had, I got a kick out of it with the Lord, and I didn't beat myself, and I still laugh about it, and I think he enjoyed the process, and it was really more about stepping out in faith, even if you bomb it, because at some point you're going to get it right, and you're going to say something to somebody that rocks their world and transforms them and impacts them in a mighty way. Never be afraid to use your voice or to step out and to trust God, even if you miss it at times, because as much as you miss it, somebody else could come along and you get it right. And here's the other thing is, even though I may have bombed it majorly with that guy, there's a very good possibility he'll never forget it. And there's a very good possibility. And I told him, like, like, Jesus loves you, and he's real, and he wants to show himself to you. And the fact that I stepped out on faith may have just been the thing that needed to happen to rock his world and impact his life. You never know. So that's my funny self-deprecation story that I had happen to me a couple days ago. Let's dive into the word. Let's pray. I'm so excited about this message this morning.
Lord, I thank you so much for this church, this family. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for speaking to us, our hearts and our minds, and awakening us and quickening us by your spirit. I thank you, Lord, that we didn't come in vain and we didn't come to just have a nice church service, but to hear you and to be touched by you and awakened and quickened and transformed by you. Let your word penetrate our hearts and our minds today. May we really know who you are, what you did, and the impact it had on our lives and how we can live in true freedom every day of our lives. I thank you so much for this family, for our city. I thank you that we have the great privilege of bringing life, healing, strength, and justice to the community around us. Thank you for strong families and strong marriages. Thank you that our children are fired up and know you in the extravagance of who you are. Break the spirit of religion, apathy, break the, the skeptic spirit that would cause us to doubt and disbelieve and be passive and lukewarm and half-hearted and anything that would quench the fire of God in our life. Lord, we want to be so fired up for you. And I thank you that this church is alive and it's well and it's glorious. Thank you that this is a glorious church. And make us to be more glorious so that you can present us to you for the price that you paid, that you can receive the reward of what you did and it's a beautiful bride, and that's us. And I thank you that we'll get it, we'll see it, and we'll understand it today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today I want to teach you something that you've probably heard before but ne never maybe fully understood. I want to share a passage of Scripture that you've probably heard at weddings and you've probably heard quoted when in the context of marriage before but there's a little snippet of scriptures that have been pulled out that I'm pulling out today for the purpose of helping each of us to understand why did Jesus do what he did why are we doing what we're doing and where in the world are we going there's it's it's a very visionary message but not in the context of building a church and ministries and stuff it's really more about not what we're doing but who we're becoming because if you can't see what Jesus is making you to become and where we're going you'll want to quit you'll want to give up and you won't stay consistent you won't continue and in the last couple of weeks I've really brought some messages to help you understand how you can rise up again out of your sin and your failures repeatedly and what God says about you. And the reason why is that so many times in my life I've bombed it and I've blown it, but every time I rose back up again. I'm really here today because of 27, 28 years of bouncing back from hardships and failures and shortcomings. I'm really here today because I never gave up. I'm really here today because I really wanted to know how God felt about me and what the good news was and the gospel was so that I never backed down from the truth because there's always lies coming at you from every direction. Yeah. The enemy's a liar. Yeah. Sometimes your conscience accuses you. When you fall short or fail, he's always wanting to make you feel inadequate and not good enough or portray God for someone that he's not. There are a lot of lies about who God is, and I want us to understand who he really is, because if you don't understand who he really is, what he did on the cross, why he did it, and what that did for us, you'll live your whole life with a lack of passion, zeal, fire, fervency. You'll fall into shame, inadequacy, and you'll want to give up. And there's times I have battled those things in my life, but I never gave up. I'm really here because I never gave up. 
because I love the Lord so much and I love you and I've learned what it means to bounce back every single time and who he's making me to become. So this message is really kind of for two people. The first person are those that have all these spots and blemishes and wrinkles in your life. A spot or a blemish is stains and scars from failures and sin and blowing things and bombing things, whether it's marriages or friendships or drugs or alcohol or addictions or fear and anxiety that's kept you bound and isolated. And over time, what happens is those spots and those, those blemishes cause you to feel wrinkled. Either you're it's too late or I'm disapproved or God doesn't really love me anymore or care for me or fight for me or see me the way that other people tell me about him. And over the course of time, it's like a constant meth addict or a constant drug addict that loses their teeth and gets wrinkled and they find themselves, their, their flesh literally pays the price. And that's what it's like in the spirit if you don't get an accurate understanding of who the Lord is. Because he actually came to remove the spots, the stains, the, the blemishes, and the wrinkles. He doesn't want you to be wrinkled anymore in the spirit. And the good news is even if in your flesh you bombed it or blew it through drugs and addiction, God has a supernatural way of transforming your mind, your heart, and your life, and it's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. And you're never stuck. Last week I preached a message about a way out. And the, the premise of a way out is that you're never stuck where you're at. God always makes a way when there seems to be no way. Okay? So the purpose of this is, where in the world are we going and becoming? And I've titled this message, A Glorious Church. A Glorious Church. Really, I should probably call it A Glorious Bride. Because that's who you are, and that's who you're becoming, is A Glorious Bride. What do I really want as a pastor? What I really want is to see us all become what Jesus paid the price for. What I really want is that you don't live in shame and condemnation and brokenness and isolation, but you come into a family and you get into unity and relationships with one another and we build an army and a community that brings change and life first to you, your family, and then to those around you. And that's what Jesus wants. And so I'm going to start off first with a scripture that's quoted a lot in marriage. I know it really, really well. It comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. I'm sorry, 25. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Right? So in the context of marriage, what the Apostle Paul is saying to the men is that we're to love our wives and our spouses the same way Jesus did. How did Jesus love his bride? He gave his all. He suffered. He died. And he paid the ultimate price to bring her to himself. Jesus hung on the cross for a purpose, and the purpose was to rescue, redeem, and reconcile his bride. So now in the context of marriage, the Apostle Paul is saying, husbands, this is how you love your wife. You got to love her this way. No matter what she does, no matter how she treats you, you still have to lay your life down, and it's not okay to be abused, and there are times where a woman abuses a man, and it's not okay to stay in an abusive situation or whatever it is, but at the same time, more often than not, we become selfish and we have our needs and we have our wants and she should be doing this and she shouldn't be doing that and I get that, but at the end of the day, we can lay our lives down and love better like Jesus did. And the Apostle Paul uses this example of husbands and wives in the context of what Jesus did for us as his bride, as his church. 
So I'm not going to actually do a whole teaching on marriage in that context. I'm actually going to break out this scripture of how Jesus loved you and what he did. Because if you can get that, you can really get marriage. If you can get that, you can really get parenthood. If you could see how Jesus really loved you and what he did for you, then how you love one another and how you love your family and God's family will shift and change. Because later in this chapter, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, I'm really talking about a mystery of unity and becoming one flesh. Just as Jesus and the Father are one and Jesus and his church is one, so husbands and wives should become one flesh. That's the context of these, this block of scriptures. But I'm going to pull a section out and I'm going to teach you something today that will rock you and change you in how you love, how you live, and how you represent Jesus to everybody around you. And it first starts with this. Jesus gave himself for you. That's how it starts. Jesus gave himself for her. You know who the her is? I'm the her. I'm the bride of Christ. And Jesus gave his life first for you. And the beautiful thing is that nobody actually could have taken Jesus' life. He had the authority to set you free. Because think about this for a second. If somebody could have taken Jesus' life, they can take your life. And the scripture is John 10, 18. The scripture is where Jesus said, nobody can take my life. I lay it down. I'm, he gave himself by choice because of love. Woo! Man, it gets me so fired up. It gets me fired up because I understand that God didn't do it because he had to or he was made to. He did it because he loves you. You've got to see he gave himself for her. And this scripture says in John 18, no one had the power to take my life. I lay it down, and I have the power and the authority to take it up again. And that's the power and authority that he has for me and for you. And guess what you got to do to get it? Nothing. We're going to talk about a big word in the kingdom, but it's so important. It's the word sanctification. I've got to teach you and for you to learn this powerful word, to be sanctified. Because what Jesus did on the cross was something you could never do. And the sanctification process of setting you apart and changing you is something you could never do on your own. I can't sanctify myself. I'm going to teach that to you. But I want you to see first that Jesus, by his choice... Loved you enough, loved me enough, and he said, they have no way out if I don't come and make a way out. This is your only hope. Your job, your career, friendships, people, all will fail you. No one can bring the hope and the life and the change and the comfort and the strength and the redemption that Jesus can. No one can. So we have to stop putting our trust in ourselves or in other people or things and stuff can't take any of your stuff with you and if you keep chasing stuff you'll lose your soul what good is it if a man gains the whole world and he died along the way and at the end right so the first thing I want you to see is he gave himself let's say it together he gave himself himself for for me that's number one the next thing is that you have to see and understand that it was done in love John 15 13 says there's no greater love 
There's not a greater love than a friend, a man, would lay down his life for his friends. This is the greatest demonstration of love. The greatest demonstration of love is that it's not about me. It's not about what you can do for me. It's not about the checks you write or the way you serve or how good you look or the value you can bring back to me. It's that I'm going to die for you, period. I'm going to give my life for you. Because I know if I die for you and I give my life for you, you will ultimately respond. Because love has this infectious way of drawing us in. And notice that Jesus said, Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay his life down than to lay his life down for his friends. So Jesus gave himself, why? For the demonstration of the greatest love. Guess what you did to earn it and deserve it? So why do we think that if we were so bad before and he demonstrated greatest love, that now when I vomit or fail it, that he wouldn't continue to demonstrate the greatest love? It's warped thinking. It's what religious, religion does to put you in bondage and feel like you're not good enough and he doesn't love me enough, doesn't love me enough and then you don't know how to respond. Why do you want to walk through this whole life as a Christian barely making it with no fire and life and passion? This is an incredible life. <clears throat> and I'm not just saying this now. Stick around. I fall more in love with Jesus every day, and I fall more in love with my wife every day. We have moments and struggles and challenges, and no one makes me as mad as she does at times. But I got to tell you, the madder she makes me, the more I want her. I don't know how that works like that. <laughs> if only it was reciprocal, right? But I'm telling you, the burning passion and love in Jesus gives you the, the, the understanding of the burning passion and love, not just for your spouse, but also for his spouse. I'm his spouse. I know it may sound weird to you, but the ultimate purpose was love, marriage, family, intimacy, unity, and a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Without any blemishes in your life. Now the deceptive thing of religion is that you have to make yourself spotless. But only the blood and love and the power of God can ultimately make you spotless. I'm going to show it to you. So Jesus demonstrated the greatest, greatest measure of love. And then the next thing is in 1 John 4.19 it says... That the only reason why we can even love in marriage or children or in this house with family, the only reason we can love is because he did what? He first loved us. I love this so much. You, I'm telling you, this is not, you can't hype this. I live this and I want you to live this. My greatest desire is to have a church that's so on fire and so in love despite messiness and shortcomings. And I don't want you to stay in sin and addiction and hurts and pains. I don't want that. But what I understand is the only, if you don't get the main thing, the main thing, first he loved you, he chose you, and he loved you when you couldn't love, and he's always loving you even when you don't seem to love right. If you don't get that first, everything else becomes religion and behavior modification. 
And what it, what it does to me is it shows me that God never stops loving and fighting, so I always bounce back. I need you to bounce back. Do you hear me? Bounce back. Yeah. Don't stay in shame and condemnation and hiding and isolation. He made a way and he gives you the best tools and resources to change. And he always fights. Think of an onslaught of God's word, his written word and his voice and his love and his power and his nourishment and rain showers from heaven. Always coming at your face no matter what you do. Now, should you feel godly sorrow when you fall short? Yes, but godly sorrow produces life. Worldly sorrow leads to death, but godly sorrow leads to repentance. And then, I'm saved. I'm so fired up because now I'm not defined by what I did. And many of you come into this church, and I love you, and keep coming no matter what. But you come in, you feel shame and condemnation, and the word comes and worship comes, and then you start to find yourself wallowing around in condemnation and guilt, and you feel like you're so, I'm a defect. Something's wrong with me, and God could never love me. And what I want to do is pull you out of it and get you to lift your hands in the midst of hurts and pains and worship God no matter what you're facing and what you're going through because worship drives out wickedness in your life and hurts and pains and shame run to him, not from him. Don't let the lie of the enemy keep you back from a loving awesome powerful God who already did it he already paid the price it's finished the cross has happened it's happened he made a way where there was no way this is fired up good news you've got to see the gospel this is the best news and the best news never becomes bad news it's not good today and bad tomorrow he never changes. There's no shadow of turning with him. It's always good news. Now, does he discipline you? Yes. Does it hurt sometimes? You bet. Just like my five-year-old son. Sometimes he's got to get disciplined. But I got to tell you, the love that I have for him and what I see in him and the encouragement and the nourishment and the strength and the comfort, I don't just beat him and make him pay a price. Instead, I discipline him in love and mercy and grace, and I tell him about the kindness of the Lord, but why I'm out to protect him and lead him on a path that causes him to bloom and blossom, not destroy himself. Disciplines with love, mercy triumphs over judgment. And I get it, some of you were beat and abused by an angry, mean father, and I'm sorry for that, and so is our heavenly father, but he's not like that. He's not an abusive alcoholic. And when you get born again to get Jesus in your life, it shifts your mind and your eyes, and now the way you see people and the way you see your children is through his eyes. Because the only way you're ever going to love your kids and your wife and family and friends and do this thing his way is when you start to see his way. And that's why I preach the messages that I preach is to get you to see what God sees. Because when I see you, all y'all, I get it. Some of you are angry, apathetic, marriage is a mess, pornography, abusive situations, depression, drug addiction, whatever. I already know that's around. I don't see you that way. I don't define you that way. I see you as sons and daughters with a purpose from God. And if I could just get you to snap out of it with love, because the love I have for you will cover you, not destroy you. Love covers a multitude of sins. It does not kill and destroy and beat people down. That's the problem with man-made religion, is people seeing through their own eyes and their own way and their own flesh and not seeing the way that God sees. My greatest desire is for you to start seeing you yourself the way God sees you. And that's why I'm showing you this message today. And I didn't Google how much does God love us. 
I didn't, try, try, I didn't listen to another man's sermon to get all my points for you. I have become this over a long period of time. And now that which the Lord has given to me, I deliver to you. Sorry, I got your foot. I probably spit on y'all too. Just stay and get a little closer. You get a shower. I'll wash you with the water of the word right now is what I'll do. I won't say it. I'll spray it. You, this, this is not made up and hyped up. This is the reality of life. You have no other hope. There's no other way out of your situation. When he ripped himself in two and he hung on that cross and the veil was torn in two, we found the real Ark of the Covenant inside his heart that was missing behind the veil because now the real veil was open to find truth, not man-made religion, that actually had a curtain with nothing behind it. Whoa. And too many people are chasing curtains with no presence. And the only presence truly comes from him himself and what he did on the cross and what his blood did when it shed for you. What did it do? Why did he give himself and what was the response? The first thing is in the next verse it says that God, he gave himself for you that he might sanctify you and cleanse you by the washing of the water of the word. Verse 26. What does it mean to be sanctified? To be sanctified means to be plucked out and set apart first. It has other meanings, but the first thing to be sanctified means he plucked me out and separated me. The best way I can describe it, which is my only story, is when God plucked me out. I'm doing drugs, I'm sleeping around, I'm, I'm chasing the world, clubs, parties. It was all about me and the, my self-gratification and my flesh, and I had no concept of the goodness of God, and I was living fully for myself in a community of deadheads and partiers and all my party friends that I know really did love me, but they didn't really know how to love me like Jesus did. And so I'm in this community chasing after the world, and God went, you're mine, and I said, I'll take it, and he picked me up, and he separated me. So here was my life, my world, my drugs, my past, my failures, all my stuff, and then he plucked me out and sanctified me. So he saved me and then sanctified me. Now, sanctification is also a process. It goes hand in hand with consecration. It means to be fully dedicated and devoted and to become like him and to, to basically be transformed, which takes time. Because when you get born again, the next day you didn't know all the word. You might not have known any of the word. The next day you still had hurts, pains, maybe some bitterness and unforgiveness that God began to highlight to you. Because before you probably didn't really care about dealing with it. But now when he sanctified you, he put you into a process of healing and transformation by his Holy Spirit. And now he begins to work on your heart. He begins to work on your life. And that's why it's very, 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 very important that you understand that when God marks you, he sanctifies you. And there was nothing you could have done but said yes. And then he sees you as perfect in his eyes. I know most of us, we don't see ourselves as perfect. But when I look at my son, and I'm talking about not making mistakes. I'm talking about I have perfect love for you. I love you perfectly. And I see you for who you are and who God created you to be without spot or blemish. 
the best way that I can show that to you comes from the scripture in Hebrews 10, 14. Oh, I love this scripture. By one man's sacrifice, one man, one sacrifice, one offering, he has perfected for a day, for a week, maybe just for now, but not tomorrow. No, forever. Perfected forever. He sees you as perfect in his sight and marked by his blood because the blood speaks a better word. The blood's always crying out for you. The blood heals and washes you continuously. And so by his one offering and by his one sacrifice, what happened? I'm perfect in his sight, but yet I'm in the process of, look at the word, sanctification. And that's why I have the Holy Spirit. That's why the Lord never gives up on you. And that's why you can't give up because the Holy Spirit is always fighting for you, always giving to you. He's always wanting to wash you and nourish you and strengthen you and comfort you and heal you and deliver you so that in the process of a lifetime, you become more like him. And I'm going to show you in a minute what our end game is. You know what the end game is? To present to himself a glorious church. And a glorious church is a church that has high reputation, noble, honor, is gorgeous and beautiful and without spot or blemish or sin in their life. And they have a high reputation of royalty. You can't do this in your best day. But you can be obedient and forsake hidden shameful ways, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And you can bring it into the light and you can understand that God gives you things to transform you like the cleansing of the washing of the water of the word. Let's go back to that verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, that he might sanctify and do what? So to sanctify means that he separates you from your sin. He separates you from who you used to be. He doesn't see those things anymore in your life, but he goes to work on your behalf to make you legitimate. That's why I'm legit. And I'm too legit to quit. <laughs> yeah! You're too legit to quit! I don't want to embarrass myself so bad. Let me just tell you. He makes you legitimate. And see, that's the difference be between how you were before you got saved to how you are once you get born again and saved. Because before you were born again, you didn't really have the discipline and the love of a father. When you get born again, you become legitimate, not illegitimate. That's why he can discipline you, because you're legitimate. And anybody that doesn't get disciplined and corrected by God is an illegitimate son. That's why my son is legit. Whatever I got to do. Because he's legit. She, my daughter's legit. You're legit. And because of love, there comes correction. There comes guidance, direction, measurement, and understanding. But it's always done with mercy, grace, and love. But when you get sanctified, you become legit. Because now God says, you're mine, not theirs. Guess what you did to get it? That's the process of sanctification. It means to venerate. I'm venerated. Not by what you say or what you think. To be venerated means to regard in high esteem and have honor for. Whether you give it to me or not.
somebody's going to persecute you. Somebody's going to slander you. Somebody's going to tell you you're crazy. Somebody's going to backtalk you. But the good news is if God is for you, why? Because he venerated for you. So he's for you. He venerated you. Because I'm a son. I'm not defined by my failures and my shortcomings. So I can rise again and again and again and again. And I don't care how many times you try to kill me. I'll rise again and again and again and again and again. Because I'm a stalwart. I'm resilient. So are you. This is awesome. This is incredible news. If you could only see yourself the way he sees you and understand what he did for you. I'm a son now, so I'm held in high regard, esteem, and honor. I'm not defined by what the world says or what somebody says about me. And people are going to say things about you. They'll say things about you just because you came to this church. Who cares? Because I'm not defined by what you say. That's why being a people pleaser is never going to work. Thicken up your skin, stop taking it so personal, and fight back with love. It's the essence of the gospel. Jesus laid his life down for a bride. He served, he suffered, and he died. And his actions didn't just save us, but they put us into this process of sanctification to become something. To become something. Sons and daughters, a bride, and ultimately a holy habitation, the temple of God where his spirit can dwell. He's making us to be that. Through love, through the cross, through who he is and what he did, just never give up and don't isolate yourself and always run to him, not from him, and get a right understanding of what God really did and how much he loves you. And I'm going to take it a little bit further. So he sanctifies you, he sees you as perfect, he's got you into the process, and what does he do? He cleanses you with the washing of the water of the word. He cleanses you with the washing of the water of the word. I'm going to break this down for you and try to make it simple for you to understand, okay? First, to cleanse means to be washed away, all right? To cleanse means that the sin that was in your life, he removes it out of you. It's no longer present in my life. He cleansed me of it. How? How does God cleanse me from my failures and my mistakes, even the ones I might make tomorrow? Through the washing of the water of the word. Here's what those three words mean. Washing means to be bathed. The word water in the Greek is hydro. He brings hydrotherapy into my life through a deluge of the rain of his presence, and he nourishes me and he saturates me. So instead of shame and guilt and condemnation and all the things that come with it, I now get into his word and under his presence, and I allow God to completely cleanse me through worship, through his word. This word here for word is the word rhema. It literally means that God loves me so much and I hear his voice, so even when I failed or made mistakes, I ran to him, and he didn't, go, he didn't give me the hand. He gave me loving arms. And then he says, you know what, son, I love you, I'm for you, you know that's going to kill you, you know that's, I know, Lord, I'm so sorry, I hate that I did that, I hate that I allowed that to come into my life, I hate that I spoke that way to that person, I really hate it, he goes, I know you do, and I love you, and I cover you, and I forgive you, now let me wash you, and then his word, he starts to speak to me, and I hear comfort and compassion and care, instead of, you made your bed, and you lie in it, you idiot, and failure, and you're such a screw-up, and such a dummy, I'm such a dummy, 
Those are lies of the enemy that constantly want to rob you and steal from the kindness and the mercy and the grace of God. And they keep you from running to him and they keep you isolated. They keep you hurting in shame, depressed, darkness, and addiction. This is how I got out of it and how I stay out. He makes a way out, but now I stay out. I stay out because of what he did and who he is. And I understand that God washes me by the water. He gives me hydrotherapy. It's a deluge. And it's not just his rhema word because some of you live in this nonstop world of God spoke to me revelation and you never, ever, ever read your Bible. So that you understand it's not just rhema, it's also logos, which is John 15, 4, which says, Jesus said to his disciples, you are now clean because of the, what I have said to you. You can't have one without the other. You can't be super revelatory and God this and God that and God led me this and, and you don't have a narrative of the word. Or you're going to shortchange yourself. You'll be stunted in your growth. God has so much more for you. We live in a day and age where you cannot, you cannot be lazy and complacent about God's word. I'm not trying to put shame and pressure on you. What I'm trying to say to you is your manual for life and your instructions for healing start somewhere. I'm in, right now I'm reading the story of David and Ziklag. I, God keeps having me read it and over and over again when he bombed it. And all the women and the children in the city that they lived in in enemy territory got burned down. Because David aligned himself with the Philistines because he was afraid of Saul. And I said, I can relate. I've run into the enemy's camp and made my habitation there. And then it all got burned down. And I feel like I lost everything. Anybody else? See, the word becomes real. I don't have to fabricate it. I live in it. And it's a little here and a little there. Some of you think you have to have like five paragraphs and two hours. I fall asleep if I do that. It's line upon line, precept upon precept, a little here, a little there. So I get up in the morning, I mosey right on over to the toilet, I open up my phone and I go right to my Bible and I have a little here. Then I go to my little lunch break or my in-between meetings and I have a little bit there. And I meditate on this and I meditate on that like I've been reading in Numbers 23 about Balaam and Balak again. It's such an awesome story. The The... The Moabite king decides he's going to hire a, a sorcerer to curse Israel because he already can see that Israel's coming across that river and going to lick up their land like fire. And then he says, I need to go get a sorcerer to curse them. And then Balaam gets overtaken by the Lord, and the Lord puts the word in his mouth, and he says, God is not a man that he should lie. Ha, <laughs> ha, yeah. Do you get it? You can't curse what God has blessed. And it fuels my fire. And I get washed by the water of the word. And I didn't, it's not predicated on what I did the day before or failed in. My life's not predicated on failures. They happen. I bomb it with Uber drivers. And I'm like, feel like, wow, so silly. Who cares? I'm a son. You're a son and a daughter. You're the family in the kingdom of God who God paid a price to make you to become something. What? A radiant, beautiful, glorious, gorgeous church that's above reproach without defect. You're not defective. You're not defective. 
Stop believing the lies that you're defective. Before you got born again, you were broken and defective, carnal nature. But once you get born again, here comes the blood. Here comes the light that drives back the darkness. That's why I love this scripture that says in 1 John 1, 7. I love this scripture. If I walk in the light as he's in the light. If I walk in the light as he's in the light, I have fellowship with you because I'm not living in shame and condemnation or afraid of what you think about me or how you'll come against me or if you see my spots and blemishes, who cares? I'm bringing it into the light anyway. And now his blood actually washes away. Look at the scripture. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus does what? Because it's always fighting for you. He didn't shed his blood in vain for you. You think you have the power to actually put God's blood in vain? I don't think so. I used to say, well, people can be obstinate and say no. Guys, I'm a glass half full optimist. I believe he's going to get you and get your loved one and get your friend and get your family. I believe the most hardcore atheist Satanists all the way to their deathbed at the last breath could say Jesus and God, pow, saves them. That's just the way I am and how Jesus put his spirit inside of me. Why wouldn't you believe the same? People come to me, my loved one passed away and I'm afraid they didn't know Jesus. I said, well, let me just tell you, only Jesus really knows him and let's just believe that he's with the Lord because I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's burning in hell and let's do your funeral. He might be, but you know what? Were you there for his last breath? Do you know what he cried out in the secret place? Do you know what he prayed when you didn't know it? Only God knows the heart of man. And so you want to put yourself in judgment seat and say, well, they're rotten in hell. And there are some people that are burning in hell that we know went all the way to their grave as Satanists and atheists. But what I know is God never gives up and never stops fighting and his blood wasn't shed in vain. And a cross was, was a cross happened and a body was broken and a blood's crying out. And God's saying, I love you and I'm fighting for you and I'll never give up on you. The best thing you could do is come into the light as he's in the light. If you walk in the light as he's in the light, you'll have real unity and his blood will wash you. The next thing I want you to see is that he wanted to present us to himself. Notice verse 27. That he might present her, that's us, to himself a glorious church, not having spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, but that should be holy without blemish. Let me break it all down for you. The simplicity of it is this. To be presented means to coexist and to be, to be brought in unity and communion and relationship alongside one another. So God wants to present us to who? Himself. It's, we are the reward of his suffering. The best thing I can do for this church or you can do for anybody is give Jesus his reward, but do it right. Because most people have never really heard an accurate representation of the gospel. Sadly. So let's give them an accurate representation of the gospel. By how we live, by how we love, by bouncing back every time, by putting action behind what we say. And when you fall short, rise up again. So God says, I'm going to present her to I'm gonna, that I would present her to myself, a glorious church, not having spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that be, we'd be holy without blemish. Let me break down some of these words for you real quickly. 
The word blemish, spot, wrinkle means to be disgraced, defective, to have faults. And it means that you can fully be blamed. But when Jesus came and washed you and cleanses you, what he does is he restores you and he washes away the spots, the wrinkles, the blemishes, the defects, the blame, and he puts you into a right position with him every single time. And it doesn't give you a license to keep living in sin and pornography and doing other things, but God in his love and his mercy has this way of pulling you lovingly out of it because he's so much better than what you're looking at or seeing or doing. He's so much better. And so he wants to present us a glorious church, a radiant church, without spots or blemishes. And it's like, okay, have you ever thought to yourself, how in the world will all the churches become one, become one bride without any imperfections? You want to know how? Because God's mercy and kindness and blood is always, always fighting for you. And he's never giving up. And all the days of your life, all the way to the cross, I'm going to run to him, and I'm never going to back down. And over the course of time and maturity, through his love, you'll want to do what you used to do less and less and less and less until finally you don't do it anymore because his love conquered your heart. That's how that happens. To be glorious is noble, great esteem, high repute or reputation, to be splendid and to be free from sin. No spots, blemishes, or wrinkles. Let me summarize what I've just taught you in a paragraph. Jesus loves us so much and so long for a beautiful and upright bride that he gave everything he had and all of himself to gain her. He laid his life down, suffered, and died to show the ultimate demonstration of self-sacrificial love. And he did it first with only a promise from his father. Through his death, several things happened. We become perfect without reproach. It means no disapproval and no disappointment. To be above reproach means God's not disapprove, disapproving you and disappointed in you. But I often think God, I've let God down, and I often think I disappointed the Father. And he's like, yeah, but I got my blood and my cross speaks a better word. And my love is fighting for you. It's so beautiful. Because some of you feel disappointed. And I, we've, had to, we've had to really apologize to the Lord for saying to our own kids, I'm so disappointed in you. Because then we pick up the narrative that I'm constantly letting God down. God, I'm so sorry I let you down. And he's like, listen, I'm not disappointed in you. You didn't let me down. I love you and I care for you. Let's pick yourself up. Now, stop doing what you were doing, and I'll give you the strength, and let's walk in the kindness and the mercy that I have for you. It's the way I would treat my children. At the same time, we're in the process of being sanctified, rained on, nourished, cleansed by his word daily. And all the spots, stains, wrinkles, and blemishes are taken away every day. And the goal is a glorious church. A bride that's noble, royal, gorgeous, splendid, of high reputation and honor without sin, just as he is. Only he can do it. You can't do this in your own strength. Only he can do it. This is the process and purpose that all of us are in together and where all of us are headed. But there's a requirement to be reconciled. 
There's a requirement, actually, there's a requirement to stay in the reconciliation that God has for you. To be reconciled means that God fully brings you to himself and reinstates the right relationship and position that he's always wanted for us. And here's the requirement. I would be amiss to tell you all that great news without giving you this requirement. Here are the requirements, Colossians 1.23. There's a little word there in the beginning. It says, if. Let me paraphrase it for you. Verse 23. If indeed, let me paraphrase it, you never give up. Stay the course, sons and daughters. Stay the course, beloved. Don't back down and don't let anything divide you and keep you back from the more God has for you. Don't let anything rob you of confident faith. It's believing and trusting in God no matter what the circumstances may look like in your life. It's never backing down. And I always continue, continue in the faith. If indeed you continue and don't give up. If you stay grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope, the good news of the gospel that you once heard. That's why the gospel is so important. Jesus did what you could never do. He's always fighting for you. Pick yourself up, rise again, fall more in love with him, and his love will cover your sins and ultimately deliver you from them. It's not okay to keep living the way that you once lived, but if you don't get the main thing, the main thing, you'll never be able to walk in it. And the main thing is that the gospel was heard, God loved you, stay consistent, stay committed, stay grounded, stay steadfast, all the days of your life. Don't hide, don't isolate, and don't believe lies. God always has good news for your situation. Is it hard sometimes? Does God tell you some things that maybe you don't want to hear? Like that relationship's not good for you. Ladies, men, that person's only going to pull you away. That's not a healthy situation. I know you really want that job that pays more, but I actually think this other job is going to be better for you because it's going to give you better quality of life versus quantity of life. You know what? I don't want you to have that right now because if you have that, it's going to destroy you and kill you. It's going to hurt you or put you into more debt that you can't sustain. And right now, I have you right where I want you. So be godly, be content, and watch out for the great gain that's coming. Let him wash you with the water of the word. That keeps you on course, strengthens you, cleanses you, points you in the direction that God has for you. Never forget what the cross did. Never forget what the cross did for you. He made a way then, he's making a way now, and he'll always make a way for you all the days of your life. And so today, if you have found yourself believing lies, shame, and that's why I tell you, no matter where you're at and what you do, when you walk in here, worship like there's no tomorrow. Worship your faces off. Who cares what other people think? You don't need to be nice religious. You need to be radical. Extravagant. Why? I get it. Some of it's a, you think it's a personality thing or styles and preferences. That's why some people won't come here because they don't like the styles and preferences. Maybe we're too extravagant. But what I know is he was way more extravagant, and I can't not respond. And I know that God did so much for me that I can't help but shout his name and worship with everything that's inside of me. And you don't have to do it my way or like me. You just have to do it your way together with him. You just have to respond. Don't stay in shame and beat down. I get it. You bombed it. You blew it. Things may not be going well at home or in your finances or with your marriage. Welcome to much of my life over the course of time. Resilience. 
longevity. Be a stalwart. It means I never will stop or back down or give up all the days of my life. And I have the greatest weapons fighting for me. The weapons of my warfare are not myself, carnal, or of the things of this world. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And those mighty weapons are what? The cross, his blood, sanctification, washing of the water of the word, purification, consecration. All these big Christian words, you may not ever remember them. and You probably don't have to know them all. All you need to know is he loved you, forgave you, and set you apart. And he never stops fighting for you. And if you're in a pit of despair, desperation, hurting, broken, addicted, angry, not trusting, fearful, I want to pray for you. And today's your day to come out of that. Today's your day to come out of that. Don't stay the same anymore. Let Jesus do what Jesus does best. All you got to do is say yes. Right? So let's all stand.